Welcome to Healing with Worth, a podcast dedicated to healthy recovery and instilling hope in the wake of betrayal trauma. We are women who have experienced this intimately and want to offer hope to other women. While we may interview professionals on the show, the content should not be taken as therapeutic advice and is not meant to replace therapeutic healing. If you would like to join one of our free online worth groups to help with your betrayal trauma, you may find us at healingwithworth.org. Welcome to Healing with Worth. We're your hosts, Naomi and Janine, and we are excited today to introduce the topic of anger. I think that this is a topic that we have talked about a little bit before, but I think we haven't really gone into depth on it like we have really wanted to. So, and this probably won't be the last episode we do on anger because <laughs> I think there's a lot to talk about on this subject. There's a lot of misconceptions that I had around anger. And since it is such a part of our recovery work, I think it's really important that we'll probably have more than one discussion about it. I just want to preface this episode by saying we're not experts and we're <laughs> we're learning like the rest of you out there that are listening. And we just want to share kind of our perception, some of the things that we've learned and to introduce you to a book that I have felt to be really helpful in kind of understanding this topic a little bit more. Exactly. And and really quick before we before we get into the book, I just want to read a quote from Dealing with Anger and Contention and it's on churchofjesuschrist.org. What it says is it's true that there is a time and place for the expression of righteous anger. The Lord himself has expressed indignation and anger when circumstances warranted such reactions. Righteous anger is a controlled response to an unrighteous situation. However, not the kind of emotional outbursts most of us are all too familiar with. So I just wanted to say that the the uncontrolled emotion-charged anger is one thing, and then there's righteous anger, which is another another thing. And that's, I think, more of where we're going to be focusing today is that righteous anger. There's a lot of places where you can read about the uncontrolled anger. And I think we get those messages often. And I think we don't hear enough about this righteous anger and talk about ways that we can express our anger. We have every right to be angry about the situation that we're in. It has caused a lot of chaos in our lives. And I cannot for one minute think that the Lord is happy about our husbands viewing pornography. Not one ounce of me feels like that would be acceptable to him in any way. Yeah, no, I absolutely agree. A quote from the BYU Marriage and Family Life book in one of my classes, and this is a quote that I've held on to. It says, it's natural to be angry and even vindictive when one has been wronged. Sometimes victims are uncomfortable with these emotions and try to skip straight to reconciliation without adequately acknowledging the wrong or allowing time for meaningful repentance and forgiveness to take place. But forgiveness demands recognition of wrongful behavior. And I think that's a powerful quote because it clarifies 
the idea that anger is natural. It is a natural emotion that we have. And we're going to experience it, especially when we've been wronged. What can be inappropriate is the way that we choose to respond or react to information. Yeah, and that's exactly what Harriet Lerner tells us in her book, The Dance of Anger, that it's information, it's a signal that tells us that we're not addressing an important emotional need or too much of ourself, our beliefs, our values, desire, or ambitions is being compromised in a relationship. Or it's a signal or information that tells us that we're doing more and giving more than we can comfortably give. And she also points out that it it's also a signal or can warn us that others may be doing too much for us at the expense of our own confidence and growth, which is something I had never really considered until reading her book. Mm-hmm. And it's a signal that allows us to preserve our own self, the integrity of, of who we are as women. But historically, women's anger is not viewed in a very acceptable light, mm-hmm. meaning historically, we've kind of been the ones to be the nurturers, the soothers, the peacemakers in a relationship. We we hold those relationships together. Expressing our anger is seems to be socially unacceptable. It turns people off. When we show anger, we're dismissed, labeled in kind of derogatory terms as as being irrational or unreasonable, witchy, unladylike. <laughs> You know, a nag. (laughs) We're sexually unattractive. We're not credible. Yeah. And there's just so much rejection and disapproval from others when we express our anger. And it's not the same for men. Right. Right. Well, and it's like you said before, it's that gender stereotyping that our culture just has adopted over time that. They're expected to to fight and to be rough. And it's acceptable because they're men. That's the, the way that it's viewed. Like, well, it's, he's a guy. Of course he's going to get mad. Of course he's going to be angry, right? But then a woman gets angry and they're like, oh, how dare she be angry? How dare she express that she's unhappy in this situation, you know? And yeah. it's such a catch-22 where you're like, wait, no, absolutely she can be angry. She has every right to look at what happened. Why can't I be angry? Right, right. My husband has harmed me and I should be angry. She points out in her book that women, we have these these conversations in our head that silence our own anger. Like, is my anger legitimate? Do I really have the right to be angry? What good will it do to be angry? That just seems so self-defeating. What What's the use? I mean, those are some of the, the questions that silence our own anger. Mm-hmm. And she says, and I love this, that these questions are like asking, do I have the right to be thirsty? Mm-hmm. Is my thirst legitimate? Right. Well, I just had a glass of water an hour ago. I shouldn't be thirsty. What's the point of getting thirsty? I can't drink it now anyway. 
<laughs> Which yeah. I never, I never had thought about it in that way. She says that anger exists for a reason and that it always deserves our attention and respect. That's an interesting word. And then she talks about the more helpful questions that we should ask ourselves. You know, what am I really angry about? What is the problem and whose problem is it? How can I sort out who is responsible for what? How can I learn to express my anger in ways that will not leave me feeling helpless and powerless? And I know Maurice teaches, or I, I've heard him teach that, you know, how can I express my anger in a way that will not leave me going against my value system? Yeah, I love that. I think things have been shifting slowly over time. Feminism can be used as a derogatory term, and it can be used as a proud term too, right? That's where this anger comes in, where women are starting to find their voice. Those questions are going to help us figure it out, where we can really feel the emotion and then get to the root of it, I think is the point, right? Yeah. We, we dig a little deeper because anger is usually a secondary emotion to probably many other core emotions. Yeah. Needs aren't being met. Something is off, you know, and a lot of times our gut tells us these things, but anger is the most prominent emotion that we're feeling and it can be stronger than other emotions depending on the time and the moment you know where maybe it's stemming from loneliness and sadness and things of that nature but anger is that forefront emotion there that you can recognize you can understand and it's not until we ask those questions that we can get deeper and figure out where is this coming from? Yeah, I love that you mentioned that because something that's been really helpful to me, and I think I've mentioned it on the podcast before, is the Gottman anger iceberg. Mm -hmm. So let me read some of the emotions that are underneath that iceberg. Yeah. Embarrassed, scared, grief, overwhelmed, tricked, shame, frustrated, depressed, disgusted, distressful. Attacked, grumpy, stressed, rejected, nervous, guilt, annoyed, exhausted, unsure, envious, anxious, disappointed, offended, worried, hurt, regret, uncomfortable, lonely, insecure. All those, all those emotions are underneath that iceberg. They're underneath the water. Right. And anger is what comes out. Yeah. 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 So I have this on my wall so that when I feel this energy in my body of anger, I can more easily identify what's going on for me. Oh, well, it's because I was tricked by my husband, or it was because I was feeling offended or disappointed. And even embarrassed for some people. Yeah. Yeah, you know? that's underneath there too. We talked about before that our emotions coexist. We have often have more than one emotion rolling around inside us at any given moment in time. 
So embarrassment, loneliness, fear combine to create this complex anger that we that we have. Yeah. And one of them that's on there that I I didn't even mention was trauma on that Gottman anger iceberg. You know, there's, I don't know, 30 or so underneath there. It's just been so helpful. I was trying to really suppress my anger when this first came out and I didn't feel that that was very healthy. And then I was breaking marriage (laughs) pictures with my fist. It's such a part of our recovery work. I just feel like it's it's a topic worth addressing and trying to figure out and that we don't need to have any shame over having anger. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And that's where when we when it comes down to it, it's not the anger that that we need to suppress our ability to respond rather than react is what is going to be viewed as either good or bad, healthy or unhealthy, appropriate or inappropriate, constructive or destructive. Swinging from one side to suppressing it, the other side to smashing pictures. There's, there are, there are different ways that we deal with things, you know, and then we come to this middle ground. And I, and I love this. The pendulum is, I think, my favorite analogy because it is so clear where, you know, swinging from one side to another, where when we come to rest somewhere in the middle, we can still express our anger in constructive, appropriate, healthy ways and resolve that anger, where if we're swinging to one side and repressing it, we're not resolving it. And if we swing to the other side and we're checking things at people's heads or or smashing things or whatever, which, and maybe smashing things, you go to a smash room and that can be appropriate and constructive and helpful when we're throwing things that are significant other or even, even swearing at them or, you know, whatever, maybe that's not quite as constructive and that's not falling within our value system and it doesn't feel good for us. It doesn't feel healthy. But when we can come to that middle ground where we can express it in a healthy way and and be constructive about it and work through it, that's where I think we want to sit is that middle, somewhere in that middle area where we're not swinging too far to one side or the other, but rather we're, we're able to have boundaries. And, and, and I think that's kind of the key when we, again, we've talked about anger being an indication that there needs to be some kind of a boundary, right? And I think that's the place in that middle ground where we can really ask those questions and then we can formulate boundaries to ground us and give us safety and and peace again in our lives, even if things aren't perfect. Because again, those those emotions, we can have peace and everything around us is not okay still because we can have coexisting emotions and even situations. But if we can get to that, that middle ground, then I think we can be much more productive in our anger. Yeah. And this is where I feel like support groups are really important because pornography complicates the ability for us to express our anger and our husbands hear it. 
because they can't even handle emotions. They, they struggle themselves to even, they can't hold emotion because their sole purpose is trying to avoid emotion completely because it, they can't handle it. They don't have the emotional intelligence to be able to hold any emotion without acting out and getting caught up in their addictions because it's too hard for them and they don't know what to do or how to do it. And so we are left as, as spouses with this heavy load and, and these groups, like you're talking about, at least for me, have been a place to just let it all out, just to get it all out in an environment that's safe and productive and that is going to validate and, and also give tools, help, help you work out, work through those emotions and utilize the tools that are, that are there, boundaries and self-care and things of that nature to help us to work through a lot of those angry emotions. I know in my, my circumstance, any semblance of my anger, even expressing I am angry about anything just puts my husband in freeze. Mm. Yeah. Like he cannot handle it. That really complicates a relationship when I can't be vulnerable with how I'm feeling. Mm -hmm. And certainly if he's looking at porn, I'm not going to be happy about it. Yeah. And I have every right to be angry about it. When he keeps secrets from me, I have a right to be angry about that because that's not the kind of relationship I want. I want a vulnerable, honest, open relationship. When we talk about recovery, I think a lot of times we talk about recovery as stopping the behavior. Right. And that is absolutely a part of recovery. And I think, I think that's more sobriety than recovery. And when we talk about recovery, we're talking about multiple components that not, not only are we resilient to refraining from acting out, but recovery also is they're learning skills to manage emotions, to cope learning healthy coping skills, which involves learning emotional resilience, learning how to talk through problems and things like that. But those kind of things, I feel like those recovery items can't take place until there is significant sobriety, because until there's significant sobriety, they're not in a place to even delve into emotions at all. But once you get that sobriety, then you can start working on emotional resilience and coping skills and things of that nature that can help recovery move to the next level. And I think recovery, I don't think is something that's achieved all at once. It's something that you have to put a lot of work in because change is hard. Change doesn't just you don't just turn around and change, but it is line upon line, right? right. <laughs> you know, we learned that it's line upon line and practice. Yeah. yeah lots and lots of practice yeah. and continual learning to, 
to understand and not just to not just to satisfy, you know, X, Y, and Z or this person and that person. But I think change has to come from within and it has to be something that you want for yourself for it to be lasting. So I guess kind of going back to what you were talking about earlier with how venting anger or or how we respond is really kind of what we need to get a grasp on as women. And Harriet Lerner in her book, one of the things that she shares is feeling angry signals a problem. Venting anger does not solve it. Venting anger may serve to maintain and even rigify the old rules and patterns in a relationship, thus ensuring that change does not occur. When emotional intensity is high, many of us engage in non-productive efforts to change the other person and in do, doing so fail to exercise our power to clarify and change our own selves. The old anger in, anger out theory, which states that letting it all hang out offers protection from the psychological ha- hazards of keeping it all pent up is simply not true. Feelings of depression, low self-esteem, self-betrayal, and even self-hatred are inevitable when we fight but continue to submit our unfair circumstances when we complain but live in a way that betrays our hopes, values, and potentials, or when we find ourselves fulfilling society's stereotype of the bitchy, nagging, bitter, or destructive women. Those of us who are locked into ineffective expressions of anger suffer as deeply as those who dare not get angry at all. I love that. Yeah. When we throw out these unhealthy expressions of anger, it gives it gives the person a false sense of control over the world, over their surroundings. Right. You know, right. when when we can yell and scream and kick all we want and that isn't going to produce change. Right. Maybe makes us feel good in the moment, but it doesn't produce <laughs> <Yes>. any change. <laughs> yes. And and I'm not saying that, like, don't yell and scream, you know, because I, sometimes, sometimes that just, it just happens. And it, you know, even if it's unhealthy, I don't want anybody listening to feel shame about, like, having yelled or, or whatever, yeah. because, again, so much of this takes practice and, We're and learning. it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. We're learning for sure. Yeah. And, and still at the same time, you know, again, those things we learn don't change anybody. Like anger can be mentally and emotionally destructive and even physically. We don't have to, like she says, submit to un continually submit to unfair circumstances. That's where, when we address, when we go to ask ourselves these questions like why am i feeling this way what's what's the deeper issue that's where we then take our boundary skills or begin with boundary skills and start setting boundaries so that we aren't in a place where we're being submitting ourselves to unfair circumstances or unkind circumstances or betraying circumstances we have the power to step out of that without kicking and screaming. 
We don't have to throw things, but we can walk out peacefully and create a peaceful space for ourselves because that anger and learning about that anger, I think getting curious about our anger is going to serve us more than throwing it out for, you know, in these unhealthy ways that we sometimes do. And I'm no, I'm not perfect. Anybody who has children, I'm sure (laughs) has yelled at their kids every now and again. (laughs) But, But as, but I have noticed that as I have been learning about my own emotions and learning what's effective and not effective, I have been improving in my skills in just talking with my children. It doesn't mean that I don't still get incredibly frustrated with some of my children because, oh my goodness, I do still, but I am a lot, it's a lot easier for me now than when I was in trauma to have patience with them and just hold my ground and hold my boundary and just say, no, that you, you know what I said, and that's, what's going to happen. You have this amount of time to do what you were asked to do. And the consequence is solidified, you know? So, and of course that makes them kick and scream and cry and, you know, and, and that's okay. And I tell them, you know, it's okay to be angry. You can't throw things around, you know, but, but really just trying to help them understand that, you know, there are boundaries, there are rules in this house. There are ways that are appropriate to act and you can be mad at that. You can be angry. You can hate that, but screaming at me isn't going to change it you can have a conversation with me and maybe we can just, maybe we can compromise something. But if you're screaming and kicking, nothing's going to get changed. (laughs) (laughs) You're just going to end up with more consequences of your behavior. (laughs) I I love that. And I, I too have actually seen improvement in myself as well. I can be angry about a particular thing and it doesn't spew into the rest of my life. And it really is a matter of trying to clearly communicate our position without being defensive or attacking in some way. I still have a lot of work to do in this area, but I have seen improvement. And so I'm really grateful that I'm I'm understanding anger a little bit more. As I kind of reflected on this topic, I'm I'm wondering when you notice anger show up for you. Are there specific instances in your life where you notice this happening more than others? You know, I think it's, that's an interesting question because I think that a lot of times, at least now in the position that I'm in being separated and I think my anger more often will show up with my kids because I have the space for my husband that I don't, I don't, my anger is very short lived with him. You know, if there's something that happens, he leaves and, and I can think about it and be like, okay, that's why I was super. And I I guess it's not even a lot of times it's not even anger for me. It's more like annoyed. It's like this annoyance. So I think for me, most often my anger shows up in, in, trying to deal with a particular child of mine that has some struggles and that 
I am trying to learn how to work with the struggles. And so I think my anger can show up there. But again, like I said, I think I have, because I have learned these tools of, of really tapping into my emotion and figuring out how to remain calm. I've been able to work through that, you know, and, but I, again, I, I do have moments where, where I'm like, especially at bedtime when it's like past bedtime and I've got this child arguing with me and I'm like, that's enough. (laughs) And I don't know, maybe that's righteous anger. (laughs) Like I'm done. You're done. It's bedtime. We're done. Go to bed. You are going to bed, you know, and my voice gets loud. But it's not screaming, you know, where before I definitely had times where I was screaming back at like he was screaming at me and I was screaming back at him, you know, where now it's more of I it's a raised voice where I'm serious, like, no, I'm done. You're done. We're done. It's bedtime. You're going to bed. I don't care if your teeth rot out of your head because you won't brush your teeth. You're going to bed. <laughs> you know, If I have to carry you there, I will. <laughs> but if you look at the anger iceberg, mm-hmm. as you're describing that situation, my perception is that you're exhausted. Oh, yeah. You know, that's an emotion underneath that anger iceberg. Yeah, for sure. You're exhausted. You're frustrated. Mm-hmm. And those are, are two things that kind of stick out as feelings that you're experiencing in that moment. And that usually comes after like at least an hour of right. calm and patient and, right. and right. asking and repeatedly to do what you're asked to do, you know, right. Get your pajamas on, brush your teeth. If you want something to eat, now's the time to do it, you know? And then we reach a certain point and I'm like, okay, I am done. (laughs) Which is exactly what she's talking about, where she talks about how an emotional issue is being neglected or too much of ourself is being compromised in that moment. Yeah. Right. Oh yeah. Yeah. Cause I have this expectation, like my kids go to bed and I'm off duty and I have a kid that's fighting me to go to bed and I cannot be off duty yet. And I need time to just be me and not be mom for a minute (laughs) before I go to bed because I am exhausted. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, as I was thinking about this question in my own life, I was thinking about, you know, when, when anger shows up for me, it, it's merely that is that I have this expectation of somebody else that's not being met. So in my particular situation, as I was thinking about kind of my recovery journey, I avoided hastily cutting off this important relationship in hopes that he would be given some time to address this problem. And when his work doesn't happen on his part, you know, I have this expectation that he's going to, to put in work Mm -hmm. to make restitution and to address my grievances. I'm left to feel a lot of resentment. The longer I stay in the relationship because I'm expecting something of him. 
but I don't have any control over what he does. And so I just need to take ownership of how to protect myself from the feelings of resentment and anger about it. Mm -hmm. I was thinking also like when I kind of go above and beyond to do things like little nice gestures, I can, I can think of one incident. My son and my daughter-in-law came home for the holidays and I was expecting them to be at dinner. And so I had kind of gone out of my way to make this great pizza dough and everything was homemade and fresh. And then right as I'm about to put it in the oven, they tell me they're going to the temple. So what a great thing for them to go to the temple. But I had this expectation that they would be having dinner. You know, we Uh hadn't communicated with each other about each other's plans. And I just felt like I used my energy to do something that wasn't going to be appreciated. And so I'm really particular now about who I give my energy to because I don't, I don't want it to bring up feelings (laughs) of anger and resentment about the issue. So it was perfectly fine that they go to the temple. It was perfectly fine with me that they didn't have dinner with me. I wish we would have just communicated it. And I made an assumption. I had this expectation, you know, that they were going to be around for dinner. So those are the, those are the times when I find myself or when anger starts coming up for me. You know, so I, yeah. I do things with the hope that there's nothing in return. You know, I have to mm-hmm. completely let go of the expectation, expectation. Yeah. yeah, and not to expend my energy doing things uh, with getting something in return. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. I heard it on, I think, Vicki Tidwell Palmer's podcast where she says, expectations are predetermined resentments. And that has stuck with me for a long time because it is true. One of the things that, that Harriet Lerner's quote that in the dance of anger, that she says, anger is a tool for change when it challenges us to become more of an expert on the self and less of an expert on others. And I think that's great because when we can really look inside ourselves and really dig deep to understand our anger and where it's coming from and what's contributing to it, then we have more power to make changes because we can only make changes for ourselves. We can't make changes for other people. And when we make those changes for ourselves through boundaries and self-care and other, other important areas, then we take back our power and anger does not hold power over us. And we can come to a place of peace and calm in our lives. Yeah. Well said. Focus on ourselves. Well, I think this has been a good start to our discussion about anger. I know after reading Harriet Lerner's book, actually I listened to it. I didn't read it, but I listened to it and just felt like it was one of those books I needed to go back and read and undo a lot of underlining. 
she gives a lot of examples of kind of the, the anger dance that we do and to evaluate our own behavior. We do have choices in the way that we respond to situations. One of the greatest things that I've learned in this recovery journey is that I don't need to be afraid of being angry. It's a signal to me of what needs to change. And when I can hold a space for that, to be able to recognize that, I do respond in a different way. We appreciate you listening today, and we'll have many more discussions about this, I'm sure, in the future. But but we wanted to at least introduce you to this book and get the conversation going. Thank you for listening, and we'll see you in the next episode. Thanks for joining us this week on Healing with Worth. Make sure to visit our website, healingwithworth.org, if you would like to enroll in an online therapist-led support group. We'll see you next time.